Welcome to episode 95 of the Listen In Podcast, the only music podcast by music listeners for music listeners. You have your two hosts here, Jake and Sean. How you doing, everyone? How's it going? How are you? Good to have you back. Or if you're a new listener, welcome. Yeah, welcome aboard this yeah. train to 100 episodes. That's right. We're getting close. We're getting really close. We're closing in. We're in the mid-90s now. Mid-90s. We have been since last episode, but we're in the heart of the 90s at this point. So a uh, little, little scheduling note here for all of you listeners. Uh, we are coming up on 100 episodes, and Jake and I have recently planned out what the end of the year best of 2017 schedule is going to be. And I would say as a general disclaimer, while we have this schedule planned out, sometimes life happens. Oh, sure. And so it's possible this won't be exact, but I doubt anyone out there is like hanging on our every word. Like, oh, I got a pencil in when best songs of 2017 is going to drop. Right, they're using their Outlook calendars. (laughs) Right, they're putting it in. Yeah, so here's the the schedule. Here's how things are going to break down. Our November 30th episode is... Slated to be our 100th episode. We are going to do our best songs of 2017 to coincide with our 100th episode. And I know what you're saying. Hey, guys, 2017 doesn't end for another month. What gives? Well, the music year pretty much just ends once December rolls around. Not a lot of new stuff comes out. Most of the other end-of-the-year lists on the internet come out around that time, too. So we're going to join the ranks of our peers, like Pitchfork and Stereo Gum. By the time you listen to that episode, it will probably be December, and you'll be in list season anyways. Yes. Plus, we've built in another week for the December 7th week. That episode we're going to do, Best Album. So at that point, there's only really like two meaningful weeks sure. left in the year. It's possible an album will come out during that span or songs that will come out that should have maybe made the list. I think that in theory what we do then is just bump it to next year. Exactly. Like an example is Run the Jewels. I don't have any dis- uh, misconceptions that that will be on our list because I don't think it will enter yours. No, and it, it will not. It, I don't know how high it will even rank on mine. But as an example, say we were both really high on Run the Jewels. Even though that came out last Christmas, that is a 2017 album yes. in our mind. Yes. So that's how we'll run it. Yes, exactly. And then we will do our wrap-up episode of 2017 with our second annual year-end music awards on December 14th. So you'll have three episodes of content summing up 2017. Yep. Maybe take a little break off for Christmas. Yeah, I think maybe a week or two will yeah. be in order after yeah. we've reached 100 and we've done all our year-end stuff. Yep. Um, but we still have a month of episodes to do leading up to that, and yes. some new albums coming out before then. Yes. So, so you know, we're not jumping the gun, but uh, just so you know, that's coming down the pike. Mm-hmm. But for now, Sean, we're in episode ninety-five, mm-hmm. and uh, as people who have been listening to the last at this point, maybe twenty-five episodes. Yeah, we've been doing it for that long. I think we've been doing it since like the seventies. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, yeah. wow. We equate the episode number with a year in music or any year in history, and do a quick sum up. So, nineteen ninety-five. Is our year in music? So albums that came out that in '95, Sean, "Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness" by the Smashing Pumpkins, mm. "Different Class" by Pulp, "Jagged Little Pill" from Alanis Morissette. We're getting into albums, by the way, where this is starting to be the sound of my youngest memories, yes. my earliest memories hearing radio songs. Like Alanis Morissette's a big one. Um, we got "What's the Story, Morning Glory" from Oasis. Mm, nice. Uh, we have P.J. Harvey dropping an album, Pavement putting out "Wowie Zowie," Bjork. Dropping post. Let's see if I can find one more. How about The Bends by Radiohead? Oh, that's a big one. Yeah. And The Great Escape by Blur. Very nice. Very nice. So, history in 1995. So, if you recall, Jake, 94 was a nothing year. Like, 
nothing happened. Yeah, it was, I mean, probably an awesome year to be alive yeah. in the United States. Right. I mean, God knows there <laughs> Give was... Give that like, as a qualifier. God yeah. knows there was civil war and genocide occurring elsewhere. <laughs> right. So in 1995, uh, with the Oklahoma City bombing, kills 168, wounds 800. Uh, Worst domestic terrorist incident in U.S. history. Kind of a big deal. Yeah. O.J. is acquitted of two charges of first-degree murder in 1995 as well. Um, in 1995, also we have a heat wave killing 750 in Chicago. Maybe a little early global warming we, this, stuff. This was hinted at with Hurricane Andrew, yeah, right? It was yeah. at 92? Yeah, I think the—and there was other natural disasters throughout. I think we saw the seeds being sown— of like the fact that it's like seventy and humid at the end of October now. Yeah, uh, Sean, you know, I I think my favorite thing about our podcast at this point is not only are we a music podcast, I think we're basically the preeminent mu- uh, history podcast it's slash like political podcast. Just everything, really. Yeah, we're we're uh, jack of all trades, master exactly. Or, or, yeah, master of none. Right. In truth, we don't believe in ourselves at all. Now, the, we also had a government shutdown. Jake in Ooh. 1995 that led into 1996. So a little bit of a tumultuous year That's in 95. A, a log jam in the bureaucracy. It I just is. want to point out quickly that I, I missed one of these albums that I think we should point out, which is it's been a big one for us lately. Alien Lanes by Guided oh, by Voices. Oh yes, yes, yes. So uh, an old dirty bastard dropped an album. ODB. Too. So it was a you know 95 was a, a good year. Like, you know yeah. a little messy in terms yeah. of history. Yeah, I mean better than 2017. Would you say? Uh, well, 2017 is probably the worst year of all fucking time. So, yeah, I, I think so. How about, like, one of those years during World War II where, like, millions of people just died either by war or genocide? Well, what's interesting is, like, most years that happens, just we aren't aware of it. World War II was On probably, the scale of that, no, though? No, 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 okay. no, no, okay. no, 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 no. That's no. what I'm saying. Also, big shout out to my brother. Big friend of the pod, born in 1995. Ah, there you go. So, happy birthday. all bad. Happy birth year to you, Matt, which is not really a thing you would say in this situation. Maybe not. Maybe not. No, probably not. Maybe not, We'll Jake. have to cut that. Maybe not. Uh, okay, let's get into our weekly recurring segment called Hot Thoughts, where we break let's down do some new music that came out over the last week. Brand new. So, if you recall, we introduced a new segment as well called Release Radar. We talked a lot about a lot of things coming out. We really only have two albums that we wanted to discuss this time around, though. Yeah. The first one being Ken by Destroyer. So if anyone isn't familiar with Destroyer, this is Dan Behar, who is a member of the New Pornographers, uh, kind of an indie supergroup. Something I always forget. Yeah, yeah. So this is his solo project. And, And to be honest with you, I like Destroyer better than I like New Pornographers. I think New Pornographers as a band is a little hard to get your arms around. I've never yeah. really tried that hard, but it's just like they have so they have a lot of material, and there's so many members of the band. I don't. Have, some are in and out. I don't know? have a lot of context for what they're yeah. all about. Really, I feel like if you were an active music listener in the mid 2000s, that was your that shit. was big. You're yeah. all in. Yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, Electric Version's a really good album. Twin Cinema's a good album. Um... <sighs> What's their first one called? New New Romantic or something like that. Could hey, be. You know, I I'm with you. Where it's like, okay, those are pretty good, but that's the best. That's the highest high that they reached, and you know, I haven't spent a ton of time with the rest of their stuff. Mass Romantic was their first. So, one. Sean, sorry. What you failed to mention is that this is not only a hot thoughts. This is another segment. This is a trust tree from me. Okay. And here's the trust tree for okay. you. Okay. Uh, it's kind of two pronged. 
I've never really gotten into new pornographers. I've also never gotten way into Destroyer. Okay. I listened to Poison Season several times, and I listened to uh, Kaput several okay. times. Good thing you're positioning yourself as the expert on Destroyer and music in general. Yeah, I, I the out of the trust tree, Sean, when I'm not shaded by the trust yeah. tree, I'm the preeminent, second time I've used that word in this podcast, Destroyer uh, expert online. Right. Uh, under the trust tree, for, for, for trust, for like sort of... Uh, Polite and kind eyes only. Yes. I don't know that much about Destroyer. Okay. I'm going to be honest. Okay. I don't have great takes about Ken. I listened a couple times. I think it's pretty good. I th- and I've always generally liked Destroyer, but I feel like I've never taken away what I need to from mm. the albums I've listened to to get way, way in. And you can tell me why I, why I need to reassess. Here, Here's the thing with Destroyer. I really, really like Dan Behar uh, and his output. I've listened to... A, a, a lot of his stuff, starting with Destroyer's Rubies that came out in 2006. Uh, Kaput came out in 2011. That ranked very, very highly on a lot of end-of-the-year lists. That was actually my first entry point, was Kaput. And I really um, like that album, and I really like Poison it, Season. Yeah, and Poison Season came out a couple years ago. That was pretty good. Here, Here's the thing about Dan Behar, Destroyer. It's all sort of... You, you know what you're getting with him. And it's kind of like this almost chamber popish like spoken words singing kind of deal but it just sort of works there's elements of different stuff that gets brought in like certain albums are a little more rock influence other ones are a little more like i don't know spanish guitar influence or like 80s synth pop influenced so he's bringing in like all these little things on certain albums where he's like i want to explore that sound a little bit but through the lens of just the shit that I do. Lyrically and as a singer, he seems inspired by songwriters of the Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen ilk. Yes, yeah, yeah. Ilk is another word that's not often enough used. No, no, it's not. And I'm glad that you're bringing that back. Ilk's a good word. Yeah. So, listeners, get at us about Ilk. (laughs) Anyways, here's the thing. I don't have a ton of takes about Ken anyways. I think it's a good album. I've listened... Probably like four times. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is all really solid, like everything else that I've heard by Destroyer. If you are trying to get into Destroyer, I wouldn't necessarily start with Ken. I wouldn't necessarily start with Poison Season, his last record either. I would start with Kaput, or I would start with Destroyer's Rubies, which I think are his two strongest releases. Tell me if you think I'm wrong. Um, in listening to Ken the couple times I have, I feel like the production is more sheen and a little more 80s than some of his previous stuff has been. Like, I feel like Poison Season and Kaput were a little bit more Baroque. And Ve- a little Baroque, bit more... yes. Baroque is a great term to describe Destroyer. It's a word that, like, I'm not fully sure I'm using no, correctly, yeah, but I'm pretty yeah, sure I too. am. <laughs> me Whereas too. Whereas I feel like this album is a little more electronic. Yeah, see, that's the thing. I, and I think this is getting back to what you were just talking about, where it's, it's really hard to wrap... Your hands around what the fuck Destroyer is and what he's doing. Yeah. It's hard because certain ones are like, oh, this is just a rock song. Other ones are like, wait, wait, wait a minute. There's like some synth pop here. Musically, he's all over the map. I feel like lyrically and as a songwriter, he's he has that sort of like abstract. Yeah, I don't know what he's talking about there either. Dylan-esque you know? sort yeah. of like thing going on where it's artsy and it sounds mm-hmm. interesting and mm-hmm. it sounds meaningful. But if you really think about what it means, you're like, why? Well, well, I, I don't know. I don't know. And yeah. it better mean something to you. Yeah. And, and here's... Here's just going back to what I was saying. Start out with Kaput. Get just listen to that. Be like, I'm gonna get in on Kaput. Kaput honestly is one of the better albums of this decade. I, I would highly, highly recommend that. There's a couple songs on there, particularly um, 
Bay of Pigs detail. It's 11 oh, yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah. That's a great, great song. I was thinking uh, of what the Savage Night at the Opera. Was. Really, really good too. Basically, this Ken discussion has transitioned into just listen to old Destroyer albums. And, and Even though this is a good good record too. It's it's also been the discussion for a lot of albums that have come out this year by legacy acts. I know, yeah. And, and so I don't know what that is to say about, you know, maybe Pitchfork's right to just be like we're going to sh- yeah. shit on all artists yeah. who are over a certain age. They're not right. No, no. They, they missed the boat they, on a few of those they, albums. Yeah, they really really did. Let's get into our other hot thought here and Jake. This is one I don't think many people have heard of or even listened to. No, but I'm excited to talk about me it. Me too. I, this album has been really resonating with me. It is by a band called Hodera. I think I, Ho- I Hodera is the right Hodera. It's like Hodor from Game of Thrones, just with an A at the end. Hodera. Well, no, but with an E before the R. So switch that vowel too. Hodor, Sorry, Hodor you're right. A double O. You're right. I. You're right. <laughs> so really not even what I just said. So Hodera, and they came out with an album uh, called First Things First, and this is their second album. It followed up one that had come out in 2015. An album I have no context Media. for and have not listened so to. So let me, let me tell you how I came across this album. So I have been following uh, The Alternative on Twitter. Oh, cool. um, they, I don't, they're a smaller-ish music blog, but... They talk a lot about kind of the alternative rock, pop punk, emo scene. They go to bat for a lot of that stuff. They are one of the few people who I've seen really plug The World is a Beautiful Place mm. and some of those other albums. They're big into the new Oso oh Oso oh album. Well, not new anymore, but you know, you know, this how mixtapes. This, this year's, year's yeah, album. They have been a big advocate of that. And it, it's all stuff like that that you're not going to see on Pitchfork, but are really, really good albums in that space they're going to start talking about. So I, I had seen some buzz about this leading up to it. I was like, eh, you know, who knows? Like, I'm probably just not going to listen because there's a lot of other stuff and I just don't have time. Right. And then it comes out and, like, really good album out today by Hodera. Everyone should check it out. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to see what this is all about. There you go. Ended up listening and I have been really, really enjoying it. Now, for context, this is... I texted you on Friday when I was listening. I was like, it reminds me of Pine Grove, but also not at all. And does that make sense to you? It does in a couple counts. One, this is in that hybrid territory between sort of folk, a little bit of country-ish stuff going on, a little adult alternative even, Mm. probably a little more radio sheen in some ways than Pine Grove. Also mixed with some of that emo, almost punk flair going on. Also, their frame of reference is similar. Both are New Jersey bands. Yep. Both reference Montclair yep. in song lyrics, yep. which I found to be sort of a kinship between these two exactly. bands. Exactly. I was thinking other the same than thing. that, so other than all those reasons they're similar, <laughs> this is, so I know exactly what you mean because you sort of say all these reasons they're like Pine Grove. I think if you're a Pine Grove fan and you go into this being like, this is just going to sound like Pine Grove, it, it doesn't sound exactly like them. But if you like Pine Grove and you go into this, there will be things here that you like. Yes. You'll be like, oh, I, okay, I see what, what's happening here. I like this. So uh, basically this is a really emotionally resonant album. In a, yeah. it, like, it, it, it can fall under that emo category if you want it to. You know what I like about this album, Sean, with the listens I've had, is I feel like... It's it's very human. It's very approachable. Yes. I feel like the like a lot too often with with albums like this. I'm going to use the Hotelier as an example. Okay. I love the Hotelier. I really like um, Goodness. I really like Home Like No Place Is There. 
they don't feel like an approachable band. No. They feel like they're coming from a perspective of people who wouldn't be the best to just like hang out with. No. And maybe wouldn't be the easiest to talk to. Right. And have a perspective that's probably pretty radical. Because yeah, oh, they're anarchists. You're right. Or Christian Holden. <laughs> is. is. I always think when I say Christian Holden that I'm saying the wrong thing because I think it's Holden Caulfield that I'm saying. <laughs> it's not. Christian Holden sounds very much like a name from fiction. <laughs> yeah, it does. Anyways, Hodera feels approachable. They feel like they touch on themes prevalent in emo like emotional disconnection and sort of just the... Mental even, health. Mental health, depression, getting through the 20-something years of your life. But I feel like it comes from a place of, like, they they don't act aloof in any way. No. Like, there's that lyric about, like, all I want is an apartment with good friends, a job that doesn't suck, and, like, $5 to get into the show. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Like, yeah. that's, like, totally, I can relate to that big time. There, there's a lot of lyrics on here that are just, like you said, very relatable, sort of on the nose sometimes. They're not pulling any punches with what they're talking about, no, basically. Right. And like like I'm thinking of the first track like out of sync. There's that line where it's like depression is like mounting and I'm fucking angry, and then it goes into that awesome breakdown too. Yeah. So like there's stuff like that, and uh, there's a few songs on here in particular. And I'm thinking of Best Intentions as one, Jake. Yeah. Awesome song. That I think that's my favorite on here. Yeah. That song in particular hits pretty close to home, given the tumultuous uh, couple weeks that that your boy has lived through. Yeah. And, uh, Emotionally yeah. trying time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's some some lyrics on there and some thoughts on there that's like, wow, okay, I really, really relate to this. And honestly, at the end of the day, that's all I really want out of music is to relate to it, to get some kind of emotional catharsis out of it. And this record delivers in spades on that in a, in a, in a lot of counts. And, you know, it might be relationship stuff that you're thinking about it might be things about well i'm not sure where i'm at in my life job wise it could be mental health wise there's a little something there for everybody that i think you can end up relating to totally and i think a song um that hammers that home is the closing track Mm. holding patterns it's one that um you know an initial listen i think we both have said that initially it was a little eye-rolly almost because what it is is you have an instrumental backdrop and then you have audio recordings of people just speaking about sort of the trials and tribulations of being in your 20s, confused about life, not knowing where to go next, maybe dealing with depression and mental health issues. The more I've listened to this song, the more it's a highlight for me on this album. Yeah, me too. Because the music in the background of the song is really, really nice. Some nice guitar flourishes and all that. And it's a it does a good job of building in certain parts. I also find the voices and the people talking compelling which is not Me always too. the case in songs in yeah. experiments like this and, and i think when you talk about you know we almost did an eye roll it's not because this song deserves that it's because no. we've seen it handled poorly in other ways or by other artists or in other contexts where it's like oh like this doesn't really deliver what you thought it was or this a, one does though right or in a way where when i first heard it i was i kind of had the thought that this might be a little trite this seems like a bit of a trope of the genre the more I've listened, there's actually a really interesting perspective on this song. Yeah. And it's, again, like in in sort of a running theme with the album. I think it's very human, and it's it, it sort of shows these these different people, these little vignettes of different people, and what they're going through. Yep. I think it's really effective. I could see some people thinking it's trite, 
and I understand that. But I ultimately I, really have enjoyed this. I, I've really this enjoyed it too, and I've enjoyed the entire record. Like I said, highlights for me, best intentions, out of sync. Baltimore as well. That's a nice little uh, acoustic ditty there, Jake. Do you know off the top? It might even be Baltimore. Um, do you know off the top of your head which track is the one where it has the lyric about wheat fields in, in western Kansas? Oh, I can't remember off the top of my it's head. It's awesome. It's one of my favorite yeah. lyrics on the album. It's like the way it's delivered. The dude's voice is pretty cool, and the way he delivers... It is cool, yeah. Yeah. It's got this, like, gruffness to it. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, and he, there's a lyric about the, the wheat fields in western Kansas, like, reach up to the horizon or something. A really cool, one of the more, I think, artistic lyrics on the album. Yeah, yeah. I, honestly, I, th- I know a lot of our listeners out there would enjoy this album, and I feel like it's one that's not on a ton of people's radar, because if you look at their Spotify and you look at the number of plays that they have, their most popular song from this record only has 43,000 plays. Okay. So it, it's... Very low. It's under the radar. Um, That's where Pine Grove started. I remember back when did. we right. were sort of getting You're into right. Pine Grove. You're right. It's that true. was the territory they were in. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we're seeing parallels all over the place, Jake. Now they're headlining Coachella. <laughs> they're not. They are. <laughs> but they're playing like the smallest stage at Newport. Yeah. Which is no small thing. No, no, no. Seriously. So, uh, yeah, I would recommend this to the listeners. I think they would really enjoy this album. Check it out. Hodera. <laughs> Album's called First Things First. So, Jake, I think this brings us into our think piece conversation that it's, we wanted to get into. It, it segues cleanly. Yeah. yeah. I think we covered some of the themes we're already going to talk about. Yeah, so what I wanted to talk about was basically just the emo revival genre in general. Because 2016 was a big, big year for that. You had huge releases from the hotel year, like you'd mentioned before, from Modern Baseball... From you know, you could even lump Pine Grove into there. It seemed to explode as a genre and in popularity last year, and was the most maybe meaningful it's ever been. And I think especially for us. So I feel like if you are a follower of the of our podcast, if there was a headline for late 2015 and all of 2016, it was basically or an episode title. It was Jake and Sean discover emo. Pretty much, and yeah. basically like learn what it is, gain an appreciation for <laughs> yeah. the history of it, overcome stigmas involved yeah. in listening to emo music, and end up being turned on to one of the most fruitful sort of yes. circles in rock music today. Yeah, because yeah, at the end of 2015, you had World's a Beautiful Place. You had... Uh, a great modern baseball EP come out. and Still one of my favorite releases they've ever done. Me if too. If not my favorite. And that kind of carried us into the next year where we're like, whoa, there's all these bands that are coming out with stuff. And it ended up being a great year in terms of pop punk, emo, all that kind of stuff. Now, I want to talk about it in the context of 2017 because we, ha- we were at such a high with it. And for me at least, this year, for whatever reason, the first... Honestly, eight, nine months of the year, I was kind of down on it. I was like, ah, you know, I just don't, I maybe burnt myself out. I maybe listened a little too much last year and I wasn't as into some of the stuff. But if you look at what has actually come out this year, you could make the argument that that strength has just carried over to this year as well. You had a great sorority noise record come out. You had uh, that Oso Oso album that, that we were mentioning. You have Remo Drive. You have this Hodera album. There's yeah. a lot of stuff out there that falls, you know, underneath that umbrella. And I found myself thinking four or five months ago, ooh, big drop off in terms of the emo revival this year. 
that's pretty wrong. I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. And I've had a little bit of a resurgence and I've gone back and I've started to listen to, you know, some of the stuff that came out last year. And I'm like, hey, you know, alive and well still. Well, and, and spoiler alert for Release Radar, but we're about to get a, a, a new album that is highly touted from Julian Baker, who I think is one of the sort of outliers of that scene. Right. And that's something I kind of want to talk about, about emo in general, which is that what I've discovered is a couple things. One... And we've talked about this before. It was foolish to have had the stigma I sort of always had about, like, I, I always thought emo was, I don't know what. I thought it was maybe sort of silly or, like, childish to be into. It's not at all. It's actually just rock music, which brings me to my second point, which is it's harder to categorize than you'd think. Very hard. And I'm realizing that, like, you you brought up Hodera, you brought up Oso Oso, you brought up Sorority Noise. Those three bands alone, it's like the grunge thing. I always yeah. use this analogy with grunge, where Nirvana, Alice in Chains, and Pearl Jam, they're all quote-unquote grunge bands. They don't sound that much alike. No. They're rock bands, outside of having a guitar, bass, and vocalist, the, those bands don't sound very similar. And I don't think Sorority Noise sounds that much like Odera no, versus no, them and no, Oso Oso. Definitely not. There's either similar components and there's melodic structures and sort of lyrical themes that are right. similar. But they're bands exploring different realms of music. I mean, if you compare Old Grey to like Modern Baseball or, uh, or The Hotelier, they're all bands doing different things. I think what I've discovered more than anything over the last two years is that it's a, it's a rich genre with a lot of sort of sub sort of tributaries yeah coming and, and i i want to ask you is there a band that you think defines that sound in this revival wow because um, it's really hard because like you just said i think a lot of these really don't sound alike and if you wanted to to really nitpick you could be like well none of them sound alike because the world's a beautiful place yeah. doesn't sound anything like modern baseball no, or, or and you think about like the uh, joyce manor and um, the world is a beautiful place could theoretically be lumped in a similar category of pop punk to emo. Those bands are so dissimilar, it's not even funny. Well, we, for example, we saw last year Into It, Over It, World's a Beautiful Place, and Pine Grove all on the same set list. Those are all very different sounding bands. And yeah, they're doing different things. And like you think about to bring up Joyce Manor again, like that's a band doing stuff where they're writing songs that are as concise. And catchy and sort of, it's all about pith, sort of like how much you can fit into a song, how sort of getting a hook out there. It's a yeah. guided by voices mentality. Yes, 100%. Which I think has, is something that Barry Johnson has spoken to before about that band. And then you have something like the, the World's a Beautiful Place, where it's almost a prog rock. It's band. like maximalist. Yeah, yeah. it's maximalist yeah. to the extreme. And they have seven minute songs, and there's huge, sort of like live life to the fullest themes lyrically and there's these big almost orchestrated productions and then a band like Hotelier where they're doing stuff that is politically charged in a way that not many of these bands are. Right, true. You true. know, so yeah. it, it's interesting how many different arms it has. So is there a, a flag bearer for this sound? Right, Jake? the original question. Um, it's tough, man. It's tough and, and, and the answer I always trend back toward as unfair as it is, is modern baseball. I always think that too. But I don't think that's accurate. I don't think it is. You know what I actually think is accurate? Might be the hotel year. Because if you yeah. look at any of these lists of best emo revival albums of all time or best emo revival songs, hotel year in particular, home, it is almost always at the top of that list. And I feel like that is the gold standard of emo revival. Yeah. And that is maybe the right answer because you could draw a pretty easy line 
from what Hotelier is doing to all of those bands that we just talked about in some yeah. way. I think it's harder to draw that line from a modern baseball to a world's a beautiful place or some of these other bands. It's an interesting way to look at sort of like the Hotelier and home is uh, home like no place is there as the sort of the epicenter specifically. Yeah. That might be a fair way to go because you could say, for example, like they might not be as purely poppy in some senses as sorority noise, but they're serious in a similar vein. Yeah. Both those bands have a sense where like the, lyrically it's serious and sort of brooding. You could also say there's not a whole lot in common with modern baseball. Instrumentally there might be some similarities, but in terms of the serious factor, like if you listen to an album like you're going to miss it all. That's a hilarious record. Right. It's funny. It's like right. it's some of it is meant to be funny. It's like there are parts that are emotionally resonant. And I think Holy Ghost got more serious. Yeah. But with with you're gonna miss it all like they they're like they sound like twenty something year old guys dicking around right and and sort of making their way through college and they have all these in jokes and so they, there's 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 lines you could connect from that album in terms of how other albums sound or or tonally what other albums are doing now the argument for modern baseball though and I I think you'd find a lot of people agree with that sentiment that these guys are the standard bearer of the emo revival because for one I think they're actually just the most popular. Maybe they like a, are. I like, think. could could the hotelier have sold out House of Blues in Boston like modern baseball did? No, and a big part of it is because of you're gonna miss it all, right? And, and how accessible and fun that album is, right? That's a huge reason. And I think the other part is that their songs are just more a little more accessible, and I think they reach a wider audience, and more people can relate to it. Probably, yes. You know, like my for example, my little sister in high school got way into modern baseball last year and as a result got like some of her friends into it and it became like this thing with like her and some of her high school friends yeah. where the hotel year de- definitely wouldn't have done that or resonated with high school kids. No, the high school kids who are into the hotel year, it's a higher bar of what you where <laughs> yeah. you need to be at yeah, in, yeah. Your, in your headspace yeah, to get into the hotel for sure. year. Because again, there's this weight associated with them. And, and that's what I that's what I mean, where it's like there's almost a right answer, yeah. and then there's the actual answer. And I really feel like it is modern baseball. And, and Even I though they're like basically not a band right now. I know. And I think the reason it's modern baseball is a few things. It's like one, they're maybe the most fun. Two, they distill all these different sounds into something that you would definitely associate to emo slash punk. There's no question about it. And also, it's like what you said. They they sort of they're like a bug. You just is when I got into modern baseball, and we got into modern baseball. Yeah. It felt like all I really wanted to listen Me, to yeah. for a long time. Yeah. And then that kind of fades, that subsides. You don't lose the appreciation, but you pass it to someone else. Right. And then they have the bug. And yep. from there, you, they're sort of the one where after you've gone through that phase, you're like, well, now I need more. Yeah. So what else is out there? Let's try a little. The world is. Let's try a little. Uh, um, what were we talking Hotel about? Hotel year. Yeah. So, but here's another interesting part of the discussion for me is that what helped me get into the revival is the fact, and this is not something that everyone can say, but like that I was, I knew Cam in high school. Right. And I f- loosely followed what Old Grey was doing. And when he came out with the Sorority Noise Project, I, which at the time it really seemed like it was, like, like Forgettable was kind of a one off. Right. I think, that, or at least I think that's how he thought of it at the time. Yeah. That's what like kind of broke the stigma for me. Right. In 2013 or whenever that came out, I was like, oh shit. This is really, really catchy. Yep. These are good songs. Like this has like an indie vibe to it. So so for me, that was the breakthrough. But I think for a lot of people, it ends up being modern baseball. Yeah. And I mean, you know, they're sort of contemporaries and everything. And I think what did it for me was you were the one 
who you had already had that stigma kind of broken and been like, oh, I'm into this type of music. You introduced me to Sorority Noise and Modern Baseball, and I gave it a listen. So the two of them are always kind of stalwarts of of that sound for me, and I always point to them as the entry point uh, and will recommend that as an entry point for a lot of other people, which I think is a good one. But another piece of this conversation, because I think you, you touched on it a little bit when we were talking about MOBO, is that kind of faded as we sure. as 2016 ended, and I think that was reflected in our end-of-the-year list where we had Holy Ghost at number one in our mid-year rankings, and it fell... What, to seven or something? It was like maybe outside of the top five. I think it was still in my top five. I think I might have had it at three or four or something. I, I think it was I still did at too, three. Though. I think it might have been higher way, than I remember. Either way, it, you know, it fell a little bit, and I, I know, especially as 2017 started, we kind of drifted away from listening to that. And I was going to ask you... How have you reconciled that, and what are your thoughts around not listening to that as much? And are there any artists who you've been listening to more now who you maybe actually like or appreciate more than you did then yeah. compared to the modern baseballs of the world or, or some of the other ones? Here's something that's happened that is actually, I think, really exciting from from that point of view. I've started to just sort of look at them as just bands I like. Yeah, I've sort of, in some ways, been able to get past whatever stigma there was and get past totally thinking of like, okay, these are the emo bands I like and then these are the bands yes, I like. Yeah. I think that was part of yeah. it for a while. I'm kind of over that now. Yep. Like I, I had sort of a big Joyce Manor phase the past two weeks. I was I was listening a ton to Cody. And um so that's a one for me. Yep. Especially this past little this past week here. I also had a, a little dive one day this week into Titus Andronicus a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I saw that. I listened to yeah. the monitor and I listened to um the, whatever the, the area of grievances. The area of grievances, yeah. yeah. Um another band that's doing very different things yes. than the other yes. bands. Because, uh, like from Titus you have like more direct punk yep. and also like Bruce Springsteen yes. type of stuff. Yep. And and almost like a Celtic sound. You know what I mean? Like I know, yeah, they I know do like mean. those chord progressions that they do a Pogues cover on uh the most lamentable tragedy. And they remind me very much of a band that's inspired by that kind of music. Yes. So I, I would say that lately the biggest one for me has been Joyce Manor. Yeah. Over the past few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw you listening to Joyce Manor. That made me want to go and listen, and I, I dabbled. And that actually opened the doors back up for a lot of this sound on top of things like the Hodera album that we just talked about. And I actually went back, and I, I listened to almost all of Holy Ghost last night yeah. on a kind of a whim. And I was like, wait a minute. This is really fucking good. Yeah. And I, I forgot. Well, I think there is something to be said about maybe we were a little burnt out because... Yeah. And I'd be interested in a listener's perspective who did not just discover emo like in the last two years to see if there's any trend of like, oh, 2017 was a lull. Because I would imagine for them it just felt more static right. than anything. Right. Because and, and evidence of the fact that I think I was a little burnt out is Oso Oso, who you mentioned before, yeah. the Unihon mixtape. Um, it took me months of sort of hearing those songs as you played them or honestly hearing you and big friend of the pod, Josh, talk about... Uh, oh so oh so all the time and, and tweeting about it and talking about how it was an underrated gem of the year past couple weeks I've listened to a bunch it's really really good well, it's an it, awesome album it was the same thing for me when it, that came out back in like January on Bandcamp or something and it wasn't until I think March or even April where it was on Spotify and streaming services so it, it kind of it took a while for it to really kind of get up and running yeah. and then I listened to it I was like yeah this is pretty good didn't really listen to it. And then on a whim, I was like, I'm going to try that again. Because I remember liking it. 
and then it was this thing over the summer where it finally ignited. So it was a slow burn for me too, and I, I think no small part, again, was we were a little burnt out. The other good example of that is that Remo Drive album. Yes. And we were talking about that a little bit before we started recording. Opposite, opposite roles on that Exactly, one. where you were kind of into it first. You're like, oh, I really like this. And I was like, ah, no, I'm really not feeling that. I think I said that on the podcast. We talked about it. I was like, nah, I'm not feeling that right now. You were basically just like, you didn't, I think you just basically didn't make the time. I didn't. Which is I essentially didn't. what I did with Oso Oso. Yeah, because I was like, I'm not feeling this sound right now. And as the years gone by, I've gone back and listened to that and been like, oh, there's really good stuff on here, too. So I think it was a product of being a little burnt out. And I think that was reflected in some of the conversations on the podcast and kind of how we've discussed albums in that genre this year. Well, it it came out the most, I think, in some ways at Remo Drive, but I think it came out the most at Mom Jeans. (laughs) I mean, it's it's everybody and their brother, Jake is mom something or something dad it's 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 a a noxious trend we should have in the music world when we have our end of year superlatives we should have take of the year for each of us Uh, yeah yours is the mom thing it still sort of bugs even though i know how stupid it is and it's sort of shtick at this point where it is i'm i'm playing it up it actually doesn't really bother me but it's an interesting phenomenon that it's just become the go-to band name for people. Hockey dad, mom dad, dad mom. You know, like Dad, dad, dad. <laughs> right. But as evidence of that, Mom Jeans is an album that some of the listeners of the, of the pod love and are so into. And I don't think either of us have really tried that hard with that I record. listened once and I was like, oh, this is pretty good. I've listened twice and I definitely liked it. And yeah. it's, just, it's another thing where maybe it's an oso-oso thing where I, I just like didn't try enough. It's, I honestly, honestly didn't. that's probably it. It probably, probably is. it. I, Jake, you and I, I had, I had a good conversation with somebody at work about this. You can basically make yourself like anything if yeah. you put enough time in. And this is a product of streaming services. And you remember in high school when we would just trade albums? Because like yeah. we didn't have money to just go buy whatever fucking album we wanted. We'd have to be like, all right, I'm getting this one, you get that one, and we'll swap. And it became a thing where it's like, well, this is the only new album I have for a while. I better put the time in and kind of make myself like it. And that is a great lesson to learn. And it's a kind of a good way to go about listening and discovering new music. Because there's a lot of things that only reveal themselves once you've spent a lot of time. Pure Comedy being a great example from this year. Fuck all the haters. Dude, now, seriously with that. Something hard agree. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to get so much fucking... I can't wait. I can't wait. Spoiler alert. Can't wait for that to be our album of the year. We're gonna have to see. I'm gonna still. I'm gonna think. I re-listened today. Long and hard. I re-listened to all of Pure Comedy today. Yeah, it's my. It's gonna be my album of the year. I re-listened to it a couple weeks ago. Listeners, <laughs> I love that this is going from a from an emo revival conversation. To I'm just saying a Father John Misty ball washing. I'm just saying, listeners, take some time in the next few weeks if you don't want to be mad at us to do a dive on Pure Comedy and try to <laughs> yep. get into it. Because it's more fun to be on that train than not when that time comes. Train's leaving the station. It's more fun to have been a fan uh, when shit hits the fan. (laughs) That's right. That's right. But I think it is a similar conversation where it's like, well, if we just put time in, we'll probably just end up liking things more. That's the whole thing. Just we got to spend more time. Yeah, it's it's true, and I, I think a lot of it's spin too. Oh like, yeah, like we'll do like yeah. if one of us is just like having a bad day when we listen oh. to an album for the first time. Like a great, Forget about a it. great example is Torres. 
Yeah. I listened one time. That made me not even listen to it. I listened one time, was just like at work having like kind of, I was a little busy and what just wasn't feeling it. And I was just like, I don't like this album. Right. And and as a result, like neither of us have given it any time of day. It's that kind of an album. That album's gotten like critical love. Good example too, this past Friday, Bully came out with their new album. I listened once. I listened to the first track. I was like, I'm just not in the mood for this. I have never gone back and I just won't listen. I didn't love it. I got that vibe off the first track even. I was like, I this will be what the rest of the album is, and I don't want to put the time in. I don't love Bully. I yeah. never have. I didn't love the 2015 album. I liked that album. Or 16 or whatever the 2015, hell. 2015, yeah. I, I thought that was good. But I thought it was fine. I think what happened to me was I realized early on that she sounds like Tommy Pickles when she sings. <laughs> that's right, yeah. And I feel really bad, but that's a big... It, it just... <laughs> that won't go away when I'm listening. It won't. And I picture him having like a backing band in his like little playpen. Yeah. And he's using yeah. like Reptar as a mic. Yeah. That's all I can picture. He's got his screwdriver like in his diaper, which. This, this has to be just insufferable listening. I know, I know. Because it's like a band who's out there trying something. Like, it's got decent reviews too. Yeah, it's getting so. good reviews and they're doing stuff that yeah. means something to people's yeah. life. And I'm here just comparing it to Tommy to Pickles. Rats. Riding around on Spike. Wow. Like dumping champagne off the side of Spike <laughs> in a music video. <laughs> Big uh, shout to Rugrats. Big shout, big shout, formative show. Any final thoughts on, on the the emo stuff in in 2017? No, I think that just about covers it. I think the biggest takeaway for me is it's just music. They're just bands I like, and yeah. there are emo bands I don't like, and there's emo bands I love, like any other genre. Yeah, makes like, sense. Like anything makes within sense. rock, like anything within any genre. Yeah, it, it like I've realized it it sort of uh, is just going to be a thing I now like. Which is great. I think that's Which great. maybe shouldn't be that big a realization. No, no. And I think we're maybe kind of assholes for ever having this block about I be, it. I would be interested, and in, there's not enough time on this episode, but I want to explore what that stigma is more. I do too. Maybe what we do, Jake, is a new segment called like Psychiatry Corner or something. Yes. Where we take, this is a good idea, actually. I, I like this. We take something like that. Like a mental block thing, yeah. and we explore it, and we challenge it. And the, the segment's not over until one of us cries. Yes. Which, honestly, is going to take a while. Eh, maybe not for me. Really? You've been a more open crier? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good it feels great. Good it feels you, really man. good. That's fantastic. It feels really man. good. Oh, I, I, I don't disagree. You don't have to convince me that crying feels good. Yeah. I just, like, ha- don't do it. Well, Which we, is, we, all you need to really do is when you feel it maybe coming, really lean into it and almost make yourself. I, I tried. I, I kind of tried that during a Monday morning when I was like, oh. brushing my teeth listening to a <laughs> podcast like a couple weeks ago. It was like particularly sad, yeah. this episode of the, the news podcast yeah. I listened to, and I was like, oh, that's hitting me. Uh-huh. I tried to make myself. It didn't really come out. Okay. Maybe it, that just wasn't the right time. It's like Mr. Burns trying to laugh. <laughs> he doesn't know how. No, I, I know how to cry. Yeah. Okay. Well... I like that. Psychiatry Corner, we're going to do it. Um, All right, so let's move on to a Mount Rushmore. Yeah, let's do it, man. And we couldn't couldn't be picking a further Mount Rushmore from what we just talked about. No, from emo, we go all the way to the other side of the rock spectrum with... Led Zeppelin songs. And the reason for this is Jake and I had a great, 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 great Friday night together. Yes. Listening... To what we listened to, Led Zeppelin one through Houses of the Holy. Actually, we listened to five Zeppelin albums that night. 
I thought we did, and, and if it's if it's any yeah. if it's any evidence yeah. of, of how fun Check the tape of how fun the night ended up being, I found myself earlier today trying to remember if we listened to Houses of the Holy. Oh, we did. Yeah, we did. We had a, we had a few. <laughs> yeah, we did. Anyways, we realized how you know we remembered how fucking awesome Zeppelin is, and we wanted to do our Mount Rushmore of Led Zeppelin songs. Before we dive into this, I had a quick thought a couple days ago. I don't know why I thought this. I was like, Sean, if you ever end up in solitary confinement for some reason and you're going crazy, you know Led Zeppelin so well, you can just play the music in your head and you'll be entertained. And I started doing it with Good Times, Bad Times. I was like, yep, you just know that exactly. And like, you can just hear it in your brain. I was like, you'd be fine in the can. You'd be fine in solitary. That is fascinating, I can do hard time because I've listened to Zeppelin so many times. Well, dude, I'm sure sure you'd probably have a lot of the Beatles online. Yeah, I'd be be good to go. I'd have like a, a whole iPod in my brain. The biggest takeaway from this so far, and we haven't even done the segment yet, is I kind of want to be in solitary confinement. <laughs> it doesn't sound so bad. I just want to be alone with my you just thoughts. get to sleep. God knows I'm crazy you enough get to already. Just hang out. Yeah, I'll just like descend further into madness. I'll probably be happier because you wouldn't realize you're crazy. No, you just be like, well, this is my wild, wacky existence. This is all there is. So it's like in the second so season of Serial when Bo Bergdahl was talking about being uh, kept in captivity and just in total darkness and forgetting yeah. like what he was. Yeah. Oh my God, that's so, actually terrible. Yeah, really horrifying. <laughs> uh, so what? What are your uh, Mount, okay, Mount okay. Rushmore of Led Zeppelin songs? Uh, here, here we go, Jake. On that note, my, my first one, and I think this is just my favorite Led Zeppelin song. It's when the levee breaks. It's a classic. So the drum beat on there is undeniable. The harmonica is haunting. Yeah. This song, it's featured in Argo as well. Anytime when the levee breaks is integrated into some other pop culture, you know it's going to be great. Just this is Zeppelin right yeah. here. This is Led Zeppelin 4. It closes the album really, really perfectly. When the levee breaks is number one. Number two, this might seem like a basic B pick. Might seem like a cliche pick. No, but it's it's fair. It's good coming from you because there's no one I know who knows more about Zeppelin than you do. So it's fair. Stairway to Heaven. Yeah. Undeniable song. It's a ama- it's their best song. I think objectively it's their best song. We were raving about like the feeling of this song and like the tone of the acoustic guitars and just the imagery of smoke rising through the trees and just all that stuff. That is everything Zeppelin encompasses is Stairway to Heaven. It's got to be. If you leave it off your Mount Rushmore, you're almost making a conscious decision to do it. You're you're cuz it belongs there. Do you know what I mean? It's it, it belongs in the top 4. Yeah. I I, it, I I hope you're not throwing shade. A little bit cuz it's like how can you leave off Stairway to Heaven? That's fine. I think if I'm listening to four Led Zeppelin songs, it's not in the first four I listen to. Okay, right. I, I understood, but I think you need to remove how popular it is and all of the right. baggage that comes along with that from yeah. just what it is as a song. No, I I agree that it's probably maybe it's probably their best song. It gets into that different discussion of like best versus favorite, sure, best versus sure. favorite. Sure. Um, and if I'm listening to Zeppelin songs, it's not one I just throw on because I right. know that the right. nostalgia machine's gonna kick in for yeah. me. I like sometimes can't handle it. As a result, Zeppelin Four, because I feel like I just know it inside and out. I think it's one of the albums by them I've listened to the least. That makes all sense. the way through. Makes sense. Like I mean, and I know it. I feel like just end to end. But I don't listen to Zeppelin Four 
Like, really, ever. Because no, why, why would you? Because you've heard Black Dog on every Cadillac commercial for the last 20 years. No, they don't have it anymore, but you know what I mean. Zeppelin 4 is... Or, more, I mean, rock and roll. Rock yeah. and roll, I mean. Zeppelin 4 is way more fun to listen to with somebody When you're on one. Who's <laughs> and, and, and with someone else who, like, loves Led Zeppelin. Because yes. You the, can just nerd out over it. There's no better band. And my favorite band's the Beatles. That's no mystery to anyone. But there's no better band to rave about with yeah. friends who also love them than Led fucking Zeppelin. It's because true. Zeppelin is so over the top and every member of the band is such a phenom mm -hmm. at what they do. And also they're fucking hilarious. Yep. They just, are. They're, they're crazy. They're really funny stuff. They are. Yeah. Uh, the rest are uh, not much more. My third, I have Dazed and Confused. Uh, early indication of just what they would be and yeah. what they would become. And then I have Bring It On Home. Uh, which is my favorite Led Zeppelin riff, awesome uh, riff. to close off Led Zeppelin 2. The other one I could have put on here very easily was Since I've Been Loving You, but that just missed the cut. So here's what I'm going to do, Sean. When the Levee Breaks, any other day is in my Mount Rushmore. Sure. But just for the sake of bringing up other songs, I'm going to exclude it because I had five okay. on here. Okay. Uh, the ones I've gone with, actually since I was a teenager, and you can check the tape on that, Sean. I think True. this has always been on my list. It has been. Uh, Rain Song, yeah. or The Rain Song. From Houses of the Holy, I think it. That's is, a wild pick, by I, the way. I, I love the Rain Song, dude. It's awesome. It, Almost nobody else would put Rain Song up there. I don't think. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. It means something to me. Oh no, I love that you have it on. There. Yeah, and it's like I, it's a great song. It's a good song, and it it has like these great swells to it. it has the it has like all the beauty of Jimmy Page acoustic yeah. stuff, and yeah. and just like him doing folky stuff like that. It also has a big crescendo. Yeah. Um, and I, I just have always loved Rain Song. Number two, the Lemon Song. I feel like this is the height for me of of them just being this dirty ass blues mm, band, grimy. And the lyrics are disgusting. They're despicable <laughs> by any stretch. It's all yeah. blues tropes. John Paul Jones is a monster yeah, on the bass. Yeah, that bass is insane. Just a monster. And there's these cool little riffs in this yep. song. The opening riff with the gong. Yep. And the dun 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 Hendrix chord, like dude, is that what that is? Yeah, yeah they're playing yeah. the Hendrix chord, the Purple Haze chord. Awesome. Yep. Um, how many more times? Yes. Last track of Led Zeppelin yes. one, also in that vein of just early Zeppelin, just like we're this band, we're all amazing at what we do, we're a little out of control, we love the blues. And we're just like coming at you full speed. That part of uh, they call me the hunter, unbelievable, awesome. And the oh Rosie, oh girl yeah. part, and also just the way this song kicks in. Steal it's, away now, yeah. Steal away. It's in the vein of Bring It On Home, where it starts off with like the very quiet yes. riff on the bass, and then the drums kick in, and and the riff comes crashing in from yep. from Jimmy Page. Oh, that's <laughs> that's an awesome song. If, if there's if there's one song that's going to replace Dazed and Confused, it's how many more times on uh, my list. Good, good. No shade on how many yeah. more times. Yeah. Uh, last time I put No Quarter, another Houses yes. of the Holy uh, entry on my list. I think I've all but decided that's just my favorite Led Zeppelin album. Okay. Yep. For Makes various sense. reasons. I think it's them doing a variety of different things all well. And it's also like when they were at the height of their fame and yeah. coming off of Led Zeppelin 4. And they're just trying different shit. And, and a lot of it works. I think we have a better appreciation for songs like The Crunge or Jamaica yeah. now than we ever did before. Well, like The Crunge is one that is still among my least favorite on the album. And it's like, of their first five albums, it's probably way down there. Oh, yeah. But just as an album over, overall, Houses is doing like this really cool stuff, yep. man. And No Quarter 
has maybe my favorite all-time Jimmy Page riff. Mm. Just an amazing vibe from John Paul Jones on the on the organ, and just this amazing dark, just sludgy like proto doom metal sort yeah. of sound. I love no quarter. Not to mention the phrase no quarter is it, very cool and also laugh out loud funny. And it's like the epitome of Robert Plant bombast. Yeah. Just <laughs> yeah. absolutely yeah. insane. Yeah. Robert Plant is ridiculous. And that's what's yeah. so fun about Zeppelin. I know. They're cr- it's crazy what they did. Oh, no wonder man. critics hated them at the time. It seemed like it was I, all I, in bad taste. I, I, <laughs> it's so true. Like I, I fucking so love true. Zeppelin. I do dude. too. I do too. Uh, all right, we we have we're on a hot streak of two truths and a lie. We had one last week. Yeah, Jake man. did his homework, really rubbing it in my face because I went months without doing one. He's uh, not at all rubbing it in your face. Just excited to do it. Okay, all right, just all right. excited. Fair enough. Fair enough. Jake, I, Jake I will, has one ready. I will say, as an addendum, I was pretty busy day at work today. Oh, okay. Still okay. got it done. Well, no, I'm just you know, I've been dealing with some shit, Jake. Well, I understand. So. I understand. Okay, so. Basketball season's back, Sean. I don't know if you knew about this. I did know. Did you very, hear about this? I'm very excited. Did you hear about this? Have you seen this? <laughs> um, and so the NBA's back. <laughs> yeah. Got me thinking about the Celtics and Celtics lore. Sure. And the old Boston Garden. Sure. And this does tie in with music because there's a lot of music history that's happened at the Boston Garden, that's Sean. Right. Um, so not the current garden in Boston, but the old Boston Garden. So the Two Truths and a Lie is about those hallowed grounds, Sean. Okay. The Boston Garden. Okay. okay. I'm going to take a sip of water. Fun fact, my dad saw Bruce Springsteen there in the 80s during like a giant blizzard. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. That's really, really cool. Yep. That's not in, that's not one of my... I was hoping it would be. T- t- Sean's dad. It's like, well, yeah, it's, Sean, it's a gimme for Sean. Okay. So here are the three facts. Okay. Tell me which one's false. Okay. Okay. Number one. The Beatles played the Boston Garden on their 1964 tour. During that tour, drummer Jimmy Nickel replaced Ringo Starr for seven shows, including their Boston appearance. While Starr was hospitalized with tonsillitis, Ringo rejoined the band on the tour two nights later in Pittsburgh. Number two, the Boston Garden opened on November 17, 1928 as Boston Madison Square Garden, later shortened to just the Boston Garden. Number three, in 1975, Led Zeppelin were banned from performing at the Boston Garden for five years after uh, concert fans were allowed into the lobby due to sub-freezing temperatures while waiting for tickets to go on sale. Some of the fans rioted, broke into the garden, and trashed the seating area, ice, and refreshment stands. Uh, sounds like Zeppelin fans. It sure does. Um, I can you imagine how pissed Peter Grant was. <laughs> that my fucking tea. Wait, wait, what did he say in the movie? I don't like, remember. Oh, he's so funny. We maybe should have watched The Song Remains the Same. Yeah, Night Got Away from Us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, they're my fucking act. Yeah. That's what it is, yeah. They're my fucking act. Um, okay, this is a good one. I want to say the first one's true. I want to say the Beatles one the is Beatles true. Beatles 64 tour. <sighs> I think the Zeppelin one is also true. I'm going to go with Madison Square Garden false. Wrong. Damn. <laughs> Shit. The false one, and I did my homework on this. Okay. I think it's a good two truths and a lie. Okay. The false one is the Beatles one. Oh. So the Beatles did play the Boston Garden. Um, what's untrue is that Ringo played that show. Okay. That's okay. totally... But, but, Sean, I pulled from factual I know, things. I know. Jimmy Nickel did replace... Uh, Ringo for a set of shows, but it was during their European leg of the '64 tour. Yeah, it was when they were in like Australia. 
That's when Ringo rejoined the tour. Fuck, I knew that too. That was sneak. That was genius. That was sneaky. Jimmy Nickel, man. And, That's right. Uh, uh, yeah, I think I, I didn't look this up, but I'm pretty sure that the 1964 show at the Boston Garden was the only time the Beatles ever went to the Garden. Interesting. Yeah. Good to know. So very good. Very good one. And Jake, we are going to wrap up this week's episode with our new segment, Release Radar, where we preview new albums that are coming out this week. Here's the ones that that I have on my radar. Uh, Julian Baker with her follow-up to Sprained Ankle, Turn Out the Lights. This is getting a lot of good pub, a lot of good reviews. I'm excited. And uh, she was on the oft-mentioned on this podcast, Celebration Rock podcast. Did Did you listen to the end of that? Yeah, it was sort of awkward, the part where she was like, she got in the car, and, and Hayden was like, oh, well, get off at this stop. And she's like, because she wanted to keep going, and she yeah. felt really bad. And he was like, oh, no, we're done. It, just, just an example of two people feeling awkward, but a good interview, nonetheless. Julian Baker, yeah. a big talent. Yeah. Um, really cool that she... Uh, is on the Celebration Rock podcast. I mean, yes. like, a lot of major, major rock stars and, and cool artists have been on that podcast. Yeah. yeah. Also name-dropped Cam from Sorority Noise. Yes, big shout, big friend of the pod. Uh, we also have a new Weezer album coming out this year that I don't know that anybody needed or wanted. No. It, I can't say I'm excited for this, even though I really liked the White Album. I thought the White Album was great. Yeah. Um, I really loved That was high on my yeah. year-end rankings. When was that last year? It was last year. And so I think they're kind of cashing in on that a little bit because it's called Pacific Daydream, the last yeah. album, and all these themes about California. Yeah. But Sean, you knew Weezer wasn't going to get away with this. That mm. they oh that they were going to get trashed Dude, critically. They got a four point three today from Pitchfork. So. I saw that and I almost don't care. I, no, I it doesn't mean anything because it's Weezer. Yeah, you know what you're going to get. I'll probably listen and enjoy a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We also have uh, John Mouse coming out with a new album, Screen Memories. I've only listened to a couple songs by this guy here or there. He is kind of a critical indie darling, though, and will probably get decent reviews. I know there's some people out there that are excited for a new John Mouse record. And then, speaking of our emo modern baseball stuff, we have Jake Ewald's uh, solo project, Slaughter Beach Dog, uh, new album, Birdie, coming out. So I haven't been... I, I didn't love that first Slaughter Beach Dog record. I can't say I'm overly excited for this, but I think this is catching me in the right mood, you know, with where I'm at right now. I'm going to give this some listens. I never got way into it either. I also don't love that as a band name, Slaughter Beach Dog. Because it's Slaughter Beach, comma, dog. dog. Not, yeah, not, I don't know. I don't know, know. You know what's a great band name, though, is Modern Baseball. Yeah. Maybe we should have stuck with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's just what he calls this next album. It's just Modern Baseball. Uh, so some good stuff, man. I'm really yeah, excited for the yeah, Julian yeah. album. Yeah, I think we'll have some good stuff tomorrow, uh, and we will talk about some of those next week, I'm sure. We sure will. Yeah, so we'll see you then. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Okay, so the we're on the mic. The Fox News. So Fox News has, I think they're just outright trolling Radiohead fans at this point. Yeah. Because a couple weeks ago, or maybe a week ago, they said how Radiohead fans are sad, malnourished weirdos or something. And did you watch the clip? The I second didn't. clip? No, I didn't watch any the of context, them. I, also, I only saw headlines. The context evidently was this woman who's like an analyst on the in this panel, this like yeah. panel of geniuses over at Fox News. <laughs> um, she 
was saying that she dated a lot of malnourished weirdos. She was like, and a lot of my boyfriends were Radiohead fans. Okay, okay. So that's some context for that. Okay. Well, I mean, I kind of fall into that category. Malnourished, I've never fallen into. <laughs> I, I think uh, overnourished for several points in my life applies. Yeah. Um, weirdo for sure. Yeah. Depressed, maybe not outwardly. Right, but yes. I don't, I don't know that I project depression. Right. Until you know me. Right. And you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's like why like we can't hang out with that dude. It's so true. It's so true. Um, uh, well, the second thing, did you hear what they said? The second thing? Yeah, the it was there like a poor man's Coldplay. And they said, <laughs> like, what the and fuck? And this guy was saying that they ripped off everything Coldplay did. Do they not understand? It, it's, what's funny is it's like, it's either ignorant and actually hilariously so, because it's like the opposite is sort of true, except I've never thought it was a complete ripoff of Radiohead. Well, when people, when, when Coldplay came out, it was like, oh... Like they're they're like a watered down Radiohead. That was the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're doing they're doing Radiohead for FM radio. Yes. But so this guy was saying they ripped off Coldplay. Radiohead did, and he was saying, "Fuck, what was he saying?" He was like, um, "Yeah." He and, and then this other dude who was on the panel was like, well, "Aren't they like going to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Like, I feel like they're pretty good. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. Like, why you're coming? Like this. I, I, so it's either it was an intentional troll job. Yeah. Because it's so the opposite. It of almost people has say. to be right." I don't know. Or uh, that's how backwards Fox News is. I don't understand, man, but it was like, it was truly funny to watch. Yeah, that's Because it's like crazy. this guy, like, if it, there was not enough proof that people on Fox News are talking out of the fu- their fucking yeah. ass. It, like, there's yeah. case in point. Exactly. Crazy. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Good stuff, though. Good content from Fox, as always. Uh, oh, yeah. Man, and the yeah. thing I realized is, like, when I, whenever I see clips like that from Fox News, it's like, this shit's just going all the time. Oh, yeah. It's just yeah, on yeah, all day. Yeah. Yep. You can turn it on and just like yep. I mean I guess you can say the same is true of CNN. I think well yeah, and I think there's a bigger conversation about just 24 hour news basically oh, that yeah. it's fucking poison, you know? Yeah, like it's just because there's not enough. Why, why is there what what use is there? I mean, in a lot of cases, there is none because it, like you just sort of waterboard people with information, yeah. and, and you can make the and argument speculation, and people mistake the two, right? Yes. And, and like news of affirmation is a big thing. Yes. And you can make the same argument for Twitter that it's just information overload and yeah. like that's not good for our brains. No, I don't think it is because you can't take it all in. I certainly right. can't. The way I engage with Twitter is different than some people. Like I just yeah. I'm in and out. Yeah. I pop in, I'm sort of a tourist for a while, I maybe shoot off a tweet. Yeah. I, I read what I missed and then I'm out. I'm not one of these I read like, my entire feed. I look feed. at like everything. I can't yeah. I can't yeah. do it because I, f- I follow too many people. Right. Oh and, well that's the thing. I've expertly curated it so it's not overwhelming. And I've almost like I feel like I've now not done that because I know I would want... I, it's like, it's weird. It's like I almost like... My logic is like you'll get a decent smattering of all this cool yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. And like if you miss something, who cares? Right. You'll hear about it somewhere and then you can go look. Right. Or like someone sense. will definitely save a picture of it. That makes sense. And I just like... I don't know. I don't totally worry about missing everything. Right. That's probably the healthier way to do it. I don't know, man. Because it probably like, is. Maybe yeah. it's healthier, but it certainly does... It's not the like more informed way. I don't uh. know. Yeah, but I think that's the whole argument is it's like, what is even valuable about the information you're getting most of the time on there? There really isn't. You'd be better off not having it, probably. Yeah, I mean, because it can, and like a lot of it can be just vitriol. Yeah, and, and, like, and like if you're especially interested in something, you can just 
seek it out yourself through another way. Yeah, well, it's like how you uh, didn't you unfollow KFC? Yeah, and, and yeah. What Feidelberg? Yeah, from yeah. Barstool oh, made my life so much better because yeah. they're just negative yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, dude, the Barstool guys, they they're getting into some trouble. Now. Dude, they, I, I flat out don't like them. I never really have. Yeah, I, I, pardon my take is the one thing that won me over. All right. To that side, and it always made me feel guilty and sort of cheap. Right. I was always like, "Oh, I don't, I don't know." Right. There's undeniably interesting things that they're doing, but sure, but like they're not like the smartest people. And I don't respect them. I respect things about them, but I don't respect like their takes. A lot of this. No, no. Like there was one no. episode when I was listening to KFC Radio for a few months. There's one episode where he was like, "Fuck John Lennon," and like, fuck, <laughs> you know, he was basically like, "Fuck the Beatles." Like they right. suck. They're overrated. Right. I think that's when I made the decision to be like, "Why am I spending my time listening?" Like to listening this? to these opinions. Yeah. Like these poison opinions. Oh, right. that are Like just clearly, they're so clear. So little thought went into it. Uh, that, and that, that was their whole that, stick. That's too. my. That's my issue. Is it's like. Sometimes it can be funny, but most of the time you know they're just, like, bullshitting and, like, not even really trying or putting thought into stuff, and that is, that like, cheapens all of it. Well, it's kind of dangerous, too, because they have these acolytes, mm. these, like, fans mm-hmm. who think, I should just live like them. Yeah. I don't think it always comes across that they're doing characters, kind of. Right. And they're a little tongue-in-cheek, especially, I mean, PFT and Big Cat laid on pretty thick. Right. But, like, KFC and Feidelberg... Those guys are still laying on some yes. shtick. And I don't. I think for a lot of dudes who listen out there, they're like, oh, that, that's really fucking the, cool, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, fuck all this shit that, like, yep. KFC and fights decide sucks. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And removing yourself from that is healthy. And that is maybe a bigger conversation to have about Twitter in general. Is just removing yourself yeah. from it. So yeah. I, want, I hope we're not a negative influence on anyone. And if they are, feel free to, you know... Not interact. That's yeah. fine. Just, just if if you want to cut us out, just unsubscribe, resubscribe, <laughs> leave a review, and leave a five star review of our show, <laughs> and then unsubscribe again if you need to. Yes, but uh, yes. you know we could use the boost before you go. Yes. <laughs> All right, you ready to dive in? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Uh, Ooh, wait, okay. let me just pull up the oh, albums. Oh, oh. Sorry. Boop. I hadn't pulled up the albums yet. I didn't want to type on the. Oh God. Yeah. You know, God forbid. End of the world. Any sound makes its way into the mics that isn't uh, <laughs> VIP. Right. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one. 